Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. We're returning with the third and final installment in our Adventures in Physical Media series of episodes. It also marks the final episode of the second season of Watch with Jen or the 2021 season. In this episode, you will hear my good friend William Boyle discussing a trio of great titles, and it will be followed by a very special conversation with another great friend, Rob Belushi, along with his mother, Sandy, discussing one of her favorite movies that Rob grudgingly sat down and watched for this podcast. It's a fun one, and I can't wait for you guys to check it out. Then you'll hear me tackle a few titles solo. So without further ado, I will let my friends just take it away. Well, next up, we have the acclaimed novelist behind such titles as Gravesend, The Lonely Witness, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, City of Margins, and the brand new Shoot the Moonlight Out, my good friend, William Boyle. Bill, thank you so much for coming back. I monopolize you way too much, but it's always so fun having you here. So how are you doing? Oh, it's great to be back. Thanks for thanks for having me again. I'm I'm doing okay, pretty well. Hanging in yes. there, you know, whatever stock answer I have. Yeah. So I know. Catching up after <laughs> Bill went to France uh for his book. Uh they love him in France. I think this was your second trip this fall. It's been so cool. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been my second trip of uh of the season. Yeah. So I, and I hadn't been there in a little bit because you know, obviously last year I couldn't go. So it was really, really good to be back um, and kind of kind of hectic in the best way. So. Very cool. <laughs> well, you're joining me today to talk about a few films that are also new releases to Blu-ray in time for the holiday season. The underrated 1949 noir thriller The Window from Warner Archive and two great 70s titles from Paramount the 1971 cult classic Harold and Maude, and the 78 comedy Heaven Can Wait. We could obviously start with any of the three, but it might be easiest to begin the furthest in the past with noted notorious cinematographer turned director Ted Tetzlaff's unbearable unbearably tense amazingly efficient 73 minute suspense film the window which basically transfers the story of the boy who cried wolf to film noir as nine-year-old tommy woodry who has a history of making up tall tales sees a murder in his own apartment rear window style and nobody believes him so well played by young bobby driscoll who actually won an honorary oscar for his role the film forces you to identify with an unexpected noir protagonist and it is so effective so what's your take on this one? Oh man i love it i hadn't i, I got the blu-ray and um, i hadn't seen it in a while it's I know. one of those movies that i hadn't watched in, in many years and and i was pretty blown away i mean the the it looks great it looks really, it really gorgeous does. um yeah. really crisp and um yeah i mean i love this movie i love 
Cornell Woolrich, who, uh, you know, it's based on a, a story of his, The Boy Who Cried Murder. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of great adaptations made from his work, including Rear Window and Mississippi Mermaid and a lot of other. The, uh, but, yeah, I, I, love, uh, I love this film. I think um, it's a great performance from the kid. And, and just yes. a really, really impressed rewatching it with all the things it doesn't do. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, I think there, there was a way that this story could have been kind of unbearably presented, um, mm-hmm. you know, like th- these kinds of stories where, you know, like the kids telling the truth and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you're waiting for, for these things to, to happen. Um, when they're, I don't know, I, I feel like, especially maybe in, in, in certain um director's hands it's kind of drawn out in the wrong ways and there's just kind of all these things that happen that that shouldn't happen or don't need to happen this story just kind of strips that all away yeah it's so efficient yeah yeah, so efficient so economical so like despite that despite the nature of the story so not frustrating yeah um you're just kind of you know it's i'm just really it was really impressed with that all over again i love arthur kennedy too i really yeah as the dad you would have expected yeah. maybe the other he would play the villain or something but i love that i also dig i'm a big fan of these movies obviously the we're recording this in the week i just uploaded a new episode i did with walter Chaw on gothic movies where frequently like in my name is julia ross you know women are not believed and so I'm a sucker for these types of stories where someone is totally telling the truth and nobody believes them. Of course, this is a kid who just makes up stories all the time. But I like that it doesn't go overboard or you actually buy what you see. Like he goes to the police station and they don't believe him. In one of the most frightening sequences, um, the neighbors that he's supposed to apologize to poses his parents. And in the back of the cab, the police officer, of course, believes the adults over the kid. Um, And, you know, they're posing as his parents and like, oh, he's crazy, basically. Or, oh, you know, Tommy. And it's so frightening, but it works yeah. very well. I think it's as long as it needs to be because, like you mentioned, it would be too frustrating, especially with a kid. You'd get too upset and too scared. And I mean, you already are upset and scared, but but I think it's uh, the perfect length. Yes. Yeah, I totally. And I love, you know, I, mean, I generally love that 70 to 80 minute range yeah. <laughs> you know that it doesn't really you know you don't really see a ton of movies of that length anymore but but especially kind of pre-code stuff and then a lot of kind of 40s 40s stuff b b noirs you'll see it and it's such a sweet spot um and yeah i mean i just it it really um kind of blew me away re-watching it and you know part of part of what i loved about it too is the i mean i don't know the history of of um where it was shot or i'm sure it was mostly shot on sound stages but it does have a really good new york feeling to it um even if that's you know even if it wasn't i doubt it was shot on location but there are some moments that really feel like they kind of were and there's a real nice city quality to it that Mm -hmm. comes comes through just the you know the, the fire escapes and the clothes hanging on you know clotheslines draped between buildings and just some really nice 
mm-hmm. um, elements of that. And it's kind of a, you know, I mean, it wanders away from the apartment and the building a little bit, but not that much. Um, you know, it's kind of either in the, the, their building or the building next door that they wind up in that abandoned yeah. building. And so it's a really kind of claustrophobic movie too, which I, I really love. Um, uh. Yeah. It, 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 I also was thinking this time it would play really well as a double feature with one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Little Fugitive. Um, oh yeah. That's a good one. Not, not really a crime movie, but you know, it's got a, it's a lot of the same kind of feeling to it. It's got a great, central performance from a kid it's you know kid in that movie it's a kid who thinks he's killed his brother and wanders off coney island and is kind of on the land um mm-hmm. and so it just really tonally has some of the same feeling and this i think this is also like you said the kid in this is so good that so much of the movie rests on on that um, yeah you know, if, this, if, the, if the kid had been unbearable <laughs> it could have been it's too a artificial been, yeah yeah too much but he's a, it's a really good believable performance and um just so much of the movie works because of, of that i think but also the the um the perspective you know seeing like the murder he witnesses at the beginning i love the way that shot that we just kind of see it through the crack in the window and we're seeing kind of the kid angle on it um so good yeah, it's excellent. It's been remade a few times. Um, I've only seen one of the versions, Cloak and Dagger, of course, from 1984. Oh, yeah. uh, it was also Eyewitness from 1970 and The Boy Cried Murder in 66. I'm unfamiliar with those movies, but I do agree with you. I, I think there's something so cool about, I mean, Rear Window is the ultimate, but about somebody that nobody believes who's seeing something um, I also think like another movie that would probably play in the same little film festival we're programming with it would be Disturbia with um, yeah. Shia LaBeouf and David Morse because Shia plays a kid who was, you know, like kicked out or suspended from school. He has an ankle bracelet or an ankle monitor, can only go X number of steps in his front yard. And he thinks that David Morse, his neighbor, is knocking up these beautiful women that he keeps bringing home. And, uh, you know, nobody's believing him and he's enlisting help or trying to figure it out. And it's all very um, hands on and like what you think in your head they should do, they try, which I like. Uh, So I think these would go together. And there's something just exciting about that. Usually in these movies, it's an adult like the bedroom window. Um, it's yeah. Steve Gutenberg, which is another great movie, but it's fun to see these, um, under 18 characters trying to experience this, especially when he's nine, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's kind of nice. Um, yeah, I agree with all of that. And I really like the, you know, so many movies about witnessing something are kind of playing off the voyeurism and there's kind of a yeah. perverse perverse even rear window to a certain oh extent. god yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's so perverse and this is not yeah. that at all i mean this doesn't have that element really at all no um which it, which is kind of you know kind of i'm not saying anything against that because I, I like no, i generally like that but yeah. i think in this movie it's kind of refreshing that it's like this really you know straightforward yeah straightforward and he is kind of despite the fact that he that he lies and likes to invent stories i mean he's an innocent sweet kid i mean he's not 
uh, you know, he's not really a, a troubled kid. Even I mean, he's a uh, he, even though everybody kind of paints him that way because he because he is a liar. Um, but I mean, it's really just this kind of love of storytelling that he has. I think that he's making up stories about going to live on a ranch and you know doing yeah. whatever. Um, so yeah, I really like that about it too. And it works, it just adds another element to it. Um, so that you really do fear for him, especially like you said, that scene in the, in the cab is, is really oh terrifying, yeah. terrifying scene, especially how quickly they, the, they start acting like they really believably start acting like his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the, the when the cop leans and the, just a really scary scary scene um and uh-huh. at that point you really are genuinely afraid for the kid and it's, it's really really effective yeah and like you said god bless this economical storytelling um another one i was thinking of when you mentioned b movies from this period is one i love I made the pandemic movie club watch. He ran all the way, which is oh, yeah. only, I love that it's one. one of my yeah. favorites. It's only like 77 minutes. So it's again, right yeah. in that sweet spot. And it's very like a short period of time. The film takes place over You're with yeah. uh, the characters, like the whole time as they're trying to outsmart. I mean, that's another one. Yeah. We're throwing out gems here, Bill. That's what we're doing. Yes. Yeah, very. That's a, that's a very similar feeling. I think that's it. That'd be a great double feature with this. Totally. Yeah. Uh, okay. We've programmed yeah. an entire festival. So anyone out there who's listening who has a theater, you know, we'll do the intros. It'll be great. No, I'm just kidding. To come back to Ulrich for a second, just so many good or great adaptations from, from his, his work. And I think this is kind of one of the best, I mean, outside of rear window and, uh, and Phantom Lady and, you know, I mean, some, some really good ones, but this has got to be uh, up there and one that Ooh. not a lot of people know, know a lot about. Yeah. And I love Phantom Lady. I'm glad you brought that one up as well. Yeah. Such a good one. Yeah. And so under discussed. So just like the window. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, next we jump right into 1971 to another young protagonist who has become a different sort of boy who cried wolf, acting out elaborate fake suicides to torment his cold, eccentric mother. Before that is, the 19-year-old Harold, played by Bud Court, falls in love with the happy-go-lucky anarchistic free spirit and the original manic pixie dream girl in ruth gordon's irrepressible 79 year old mod written by colin higgins directed by hal ashby who i'm planning to do an episode on next year with duncan burn birmingham and featuring the music of cat stevens i really love this very weird movie harold and mod and i know you do too i believe do you remember when you first saw this one I do love it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is one of those movies that's like a kind of. I mean, I don't know if it's true anymore for for like teenagers getting into getting into yeah. movies, but for me in the '90s, this is kind of one of those gateways starter. Yeah, gateway gateway movies, kind of starter pack. You know, if you love movies, this is this is it. Um, so I saw it in high school, certainly for the first time, and then you know watched it a lot in college and. Uh, I just, I mean, I loved it for a million reasons right out of the gate. Um, probably was drawn to it first 
even before I was really like a, a Hal Ashby fan, um, mm-hmm. drawn to it for the for the music for Cat Stevens because I loved yeah. Cat Stevens at an early age. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I can't really remember a time when I didn't love this movie. I must have seen it pretty young, initially thirteen, maybe fourteen, um, gotcha. and. Uh, yeah, just just totally fell in love with it. The the feeling of it, the everything about it. Rewatching it yesterday, I hadn't watched it in a second, and rewatching it, I just realized what a incredibly important text it's been for me. It's just one of those things that I kind of have always in the back of my mind. I think even when I'm not explicitly thinking about it, um, Ruth Gordon is brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. So good, yes. And um, Bud Court's great. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a knockout movie, but I did, it did, I was looking at it on Letterboxd yesterday and I was surprised to see that. I mean, I thought this was kind of a movie that was universally loved, which I guess it's not. No, I guess. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It kind of runs the gamut. If people are either really hot on it or really cold, there's not really a big middle for him. Yeah. Not. It's like either, or I remember the first time I saw this film, this is a weird like segue and a weird, but I think this might've been the door to this movie for a lot of people growing up like we did in the nineties. Do you remember in there's something about Mary Cameron oh, yeah. Diaz's character keeps talking about finding Harold and Maude to be the greatest love story of all time. <laughs> and then when Matt Dillon has been like eavesdropping and one of the things in order to like convince her, she belongs with him is he finishes the sentence about the greatest love story of all time. And so I went, immediately you know i thought the movie was hilarious and i'm like okay gotta see harold and maude now thinking it's i had no idea what it was about so the first time i watched it i was kind of in shock but i couldn't stop thinking about it and then i wanted to watch it again and again and again and i think that it sort of sneaks up on you so maybe if you're one of those people who's like well i hate this did it stay with you is a good question to ask and maybe watch it again because I think as you get older, it's going to hit different places than it did when it was when you were younger. And yeah, I just I think it's one of those that's just so great. Ruth Gordon. I love that we notice that she is a concentration camp survivor, like you see the numbers, but they don't need to make that a big speech like you get little subtext yeah. or you inferences about these characters and they don't need to overtly have people state or qualify themselves like we're not 100% sure why Harold is doing what he's doing until quite late in the movie when he tells that heartbreaking story about his mom thinking he was dead Um, and yeah it's just mesmerizing for what it doesn't say and then what it says yeah yeah I totally agree and I was re-watching and I was thinking that same thing especially in that the the scene where you see her arm and you see yep. the, the numbers on her arm. I mean, just what what restraint just to yep. let that let that tell you that story without anybody saying anything or yes. mentioning it. I mean, it's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, just just amazing. And you know, I, I I don't know that I can't think of any movie off the top of my head that I mean, maybe the most effective soundtrack of all time i mean it's just up t- there just, yeah like with it's the gotta be up there and, yeah a couple others but it's right there yep i mean just i mean just how that 
that captures the whole tone and feel of her character and of the movie and its threat, the way it's threaded seamlessly throughout the movie. It's just, um, just beautiful. And the, you know, the scene where she, she plays the Cat Stevens song on the piano, just so, yeah. so good. I mean, yeah. just I, I just, Yep. Yeah, I find it so moving and so I mean it's it's so much in the spirit of you know the the stuff that really affected me at a young age the stuff that got me into literature and films was a lot of stuff in the you know six, from the 60s and 70s that was kind of from the counterculture that was transgressive and and this movie both manages to be you know, deeply sweet and deeply transgressive and just, yeah. Just, yeah. Very um, subversive. Yeah. 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 It's just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a masterpiece, I think. And, um, I, I love it and I love, I love her character and there's just, uh, so much that uh, amazes me about it every time I watch it. I love, you know, I mean, I don't know, people talk about it obviously as a Hal Ashby movie, which it is. And, and I, I love Hal Ashby, but I also, you know, I don't think people mention Colin Higgins's name. And they should. I, yeah. They should. And he's a, he's such a fascinating figure and, and it's, it's a brilliant script. And, um, you know, he had a too short career, but he, he made some really interesting films, including, you know, foul play and nine to five, um, which I love both of those. And, and he did the best little whorehouse in Texas too. Um, but you know, just a just a, a. I've never read the the novelization. I guess he wrote a novelization of his own script. Yeah. But, yep. Um, yeah, he was working on it at UCLA, and he wanted to eventually direct it himself. I think he did a couple test shots. They didn't go over very well, and so Hal Ashby refused to take the job unless uh, Colin Higgins blessed him for it, and he said, "No, you're good." And Ashby wanted him as a partner. So um, he said, no, you're going to be a co-producer. You're going to be here. So it's kind of like a co-directorial or, you know, if you're talking about auteurs, I guess you could say this is like a Higgins slash Ashby movie for sure. I love just like we talked about with the window movies about people not being believed. Another thing I love are a human connection or people becoming friends who you would not expect to become friends. It's one of my favorite things in film. It's why we watch film, I think, because of the yeah. empathy. Um, another thing, especially with the Cat Stevens, this has one of my favorite endings of like any movie ever. Uh, they play that song at the end and it's it's both heartbreaking and uplifting uh, as spoiler alerts Maude takes her own life at the end she wanted to make it to 80 she did and that was it and she checks out and then we see um Harold you know drive his car off a cliff but he you know rolls out because that is the lesson he has learned he wants to live you know l-i-v-e go team that whole scene I love that (laughs) so much um and I think it's one of the most beautiful it's so well edited to that song it kind of reminds me of the scene they went a really melancholy direction with it um in royal tenenbaums where the luke wilson character tries to take his own life and then uh the elliot smith needle in the hay plays yeah we're cutting to um you know the ambulance and then we're running down the halls and it just felt very similar. And I was wondering if maybe Wes Anderson in the back of his mind was thinking about the scene and going a whole different direction with it. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I told. I mean, I, I remember when I first saw those Wes Anderson movies, especially I guess Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums. I yeah. thought, oh, man, this is this is straight from. And I yeah. love those soundtracks, and this is straight from Harold and Maude and yeah. the way Ashby used the songs. Um, you know, just 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 perfect, perfectly threaded through. And I agree with you about the the ending. It's just really, um, it really just hits the it hits the right. No, I mean it's just uh, the the way it's the way it's cross cut, or uh, I don't know if that's the right term for that. Sorry, but the way it yeah. cuts back and forth between the the kind of the the whatever. I mean, it's I don't want to say the past and the present or the past and the future. I don't know. I don't know how you would term it because Describe it's kind that, of but yeah, yeah, just kind of two two back and forth that yep. are very very close together but they're kind of happening simultaneously which is really a wonderful mm-hmm. wonderful effect i think at the at the end um yeah, yeah it's a it's, cause it's, and effect essentially yep yeah yep yeah it's just uh it's such a such a, a lovely movie um mm-hmm. i haven't seen the i haven't watched the the new blu-ray yet because i don't think it's out officially yet but i'm gonna i'm gonna get it so does it i know it's a restoration have you seen yeah you seen the the, yeah. new, the new version that's the one i watched yesterday it is gorgeous um i don't have the criterion that was released yeah. a few years ago uh, so i can't compare it to that but uh, i believe this was a 4k restoration um i mean it's it was transferred to blu-ray it comes with a commentary track by larry karaszewski and cameron crow uh oh, it also nice. has a thing with uh cat stevens talking about harold and Maud. Um, these new Paramount uh, presents this line that they've come out with. They're really kind of gorgeous. They're sort of like yeah. pop up. They're kind of um, I'm showing Bill uh, sort of a 3D effect uh, of the cover. And yeah, it's really nice. They also include a digital copy. Unfortunately, um, Paramount doesn't play well with the movies anywhere or that um, setup. So you kind of have to choose either Apple or Voodoo, at least currently as we're recording okay. this. But at least it's nice. You have a backup and you can watch it on the go um, or streaming if sometimes you're lazy and don't want to get up and put your disc in. But yeah, I'm excited to listen to the commentary track. Yeah, that, I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to get it this week. Um and uh, I'm excited to see it too. I also don't, I didn't get the Criterion Blu-ray for yeah. summer. I have it on DVD from a while ago and I just never picked up the Criterion Blu-ray. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad this is out. And I do like the, these Paramount Blu-rays that they've been, they've been doing some good stuff, Place in the yeah. Sun and a couple yeah, other. Yeah, there's been some beautiful ones. Yeah, um, that I've been really excited to see get this, this treatment. I like that. I like that cover a lot. It's such a good image from the, uh, from the film from the film yes very much i will be sure to include a photo of it yeah it's uh harold and maude or an illustration of them standing in uh the cemeteries and it's yeah it's perfect it's also kind of shaped like a heart which i love (laughs) yeah but we follow up one romantic comedy about life and death with another one 1978's multi-oscar nominated film heaven can wait from Warren Beatty and Buck Henry, which is an adaptation of the Harry Siegel play, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which was first brought to the screen in 1941. Doing screenplay honors here, we have Elaine May and Warren Beatty, although 
everyone has stated, it's basically an Elaine May screenplay with a very little but good contributions from Beatty. Reuniting the stars of director Hal Ashby's Shampoo and Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, and Jack Warden in the film, Beatty plays a backup quarterback for the LA Rams, ready to take the team to the Super Bowl when he's mistakenly taken to heaven prematurely by an overeager new guardian angel played by James Mason, wonderfully played, unable to return him to earth in his own body because he's already been cremated. Oops, Beatty and Mason look for a substitute and find it in a millionaire industrialist who'd just been killed by his cheating wife, Diane Cannon, and her scheming lover, his employee, Charles Grodin, who's fabulous. They both are. He falls for Christie's environmental activist and tries to return to football glory as well. An unusual but sweet film and one that helps solidify Beatty and eventually get his passion project Reds made. It's a really good, kind of a forgotten movie. So what are your thoughts on this one? I love it. I mean, I love the original, the, the, um, well, not the original, I guess, but, uh, the Ernst Lubitsch version, um, which I guess was already maybe a remake or a adaptation. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's kind of a different one, but yeah, <laughs> heaven can wait. I saw that for yeah. the first time when I was like, uh, researching Gene Tierney earlier this year. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I love it. I don't know when I first encountered it. Um, probably not that early on. Um, even though I liked, I liked Warren Beatty, um, from a, from a fairly young age, you know, I liked Bugsy and I liked Dick Tracy as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then eventually I came to the other stuff. So I was probably a little bit later to this and I I probably mostly came to it as a, as an Elaine May fan, um, because I was looking for anything and everything with, with her name on it. Um, I love Elaine May. She's brilliant. She's one of my favorites ever. And I wish there was more um but I, you know i especially love the the movies she wrote and directed in the in the 70s uh, yeah a new a new leaf and heartbreak kid and um mikey and nikki is one of my favorite movies of all time oh my um, god so, i love that yes yeah it's, that's that's the best and so I, I mean i think probably i i don't know i won't say i avoided this movie for a long time but i just kind of didn't think it was going to be you know anything i was i was particularly interested in for some reason and then i just kind of fell in love with it i mean i love i love her script i think it's uh, just hilarious um mm-hmm. i think that it's a um it's a i mean it's a probably not what people expect i think you m- might go into this movie expecting it to be a little bit more of a, a romantic comedy and it kind of is that i guess yeah. but it's more, of a, it's more of like a screwball i mean it's really kind of a sc- classic it is screwball. A throwback. yeah yeah it feels very like the 30s or 40s screwball comedy and um and that's something that i really love yes. about it i, re- I rewatched it um, a couple of days ago and, and was really really struck by that um and also just the, the brilliant brilliant script and just you know knockout performance after knockout performance charles yeah. gordon's amazing ben yes, Cannon, Diane Julie jack warden oh jack my god Warden's touches great. your heart and i yeah. know they wanted uh carrie grant i mean it even stars um diane cannon and she tried and he wasn't willing to come back out of retirement but i thought james mason was marvelous <laughs> as mr oh, yeah, he's terrific. 
Yeah. And I think it's so good. You mentioned screwball because it does feel like that. There's a lot of moving parts and also they get the tone right, which is really hard to do. I think in the nineties, they made this awful movie called meet Joe black with um, Brad Pitt. And it was so dour. I mean, I shouldn't say there are some redeeming qualities. It's beautifully shot and everything. And, you know, Claire Forlani is good, but the, um, and so is Pitt, of course, but it's so dour and dark and they get the tone kind of wrong and you're just not enjoying it um, the way that you should. And so when I was watching this, I think the first time I saw it was in the nineties and I remember being charmed by it, but kind of finding it unexpected because I went in sort of thinking, is this like the preacher's wife or, or the Bishop's wife? Uh, They were a remake Um, or what is this movie? And I hadn't seen it in over 20 years. I watched it earlier this fall for the Charles Grodin episode. And then once again, to check out the new Blu-ray and yeah, it's just so fun. Um, I think it's really clever that it's like a football player and uh, the LA Rams stuff is great. Uh, It's also a snapshot of the era. Like I'm not a football person, but I love football movies um, because you have the environmentalism um, starting to creep into film. And I was thinking, oh yeah, that's right. This is around the time they made like the China syndrome. And so this was, you know, the Jimmy Carter era. And yeah, so I thought it was a really cool snapshot of the 70s, but yet it's not so dated. I think um, the Diane Cannon and the uh, Charles Grodin subplot of like trying to murder the old man is just really kind of twisted and keeps it from being a little too schmaltzy. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just a fun movie. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it is, I mean, even just the, the, tone and, and feel of it is very rooted in the late 70s and kind of the, the football stuff and you know, yeah the, the fashion and the the love the, the fat and the hair yeah <laughs> the hair and the like the, the the workout equipment he's got and all that yeah. stuff but but it does I mean aside from that um it does have this kind of you know classic screwball feel that I think just is all all rooted in the in the script you know just the mm-hmm. the, the brilliant you know, one-liners that she's got in there and the, yeah. the kind of stuff, the stuff she threads through. Um, mm-hmm. I just, uh, I mean, the Vincent Gardini is great in it too. And the, like the bit about disliking the hats and that, like that whole sequence toward the end is, is just so, yeah. that's just screams Elaine May. And it, it really is the stuff that, that lifts it to another. I mean, as, as great as all the performances are, um, that's the stuff that lifts it to another level for me is that's just that touch that she brings to it. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun to see Vincent Gardenia. And then especially because we just talked about Moonstruck. Yeah. And so we just watched that for the podcast. And so uh, that was really a nice treat. It was like, oh, yes, he's in this. It was very fun. Yeah, yeah he pops in late, but it, there's some, some a couple of really memorable scenes, especially just I love seeing him and Jack Warden. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of exchanges together and those two, two or three scenes or whatever they have together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Beatty, you know, Beatty's, I mean, I don't really ever think of Beatty as um, a comic actor, I guess, but he's really no, funny. In it. He is. Yeah. And this sort of anticipates, of course, Ishtar, which 
is yeah. unfairly maligned. The oh, I, love, I love Ishtar. You won't hear I a bad too. word about Ishtar yes. for me. Yeah, I think it's, um, I hadn't seen it until this year. And I think I've watched it maybe three times already. Um, yeah. It just it totally cracks me up. You have Broden again. You have Beatty. It's it's so much fun. And you can just yeah. tell the affection. I know they had a falling out, of course, um, Beatty and May. Um, but that they had for each other that was sort of fostered on some of these movies they made earlier. Yeah. yeah and for anyone listening who's an Elaine May had Carrie Corrigan, who I had on the podcast earlier this year right now, is writing a book on Elaine May that I can't wait for. I don't know if it's yeah, coming really out excited in about that. Yeah, 22 or 23. I think she's still writing, so probably 23. Uh, but can't wait for that. And if you're doing your holiday cards, uh, Kate Gabrielle, also she made it an ornament too, but has a really cool new brand new card for Elaine May, which is May your days be merry and bright for the holidays. And it's Elaine May, gorgeous picture of her wearing a, a drawn Santa hat. And I love it. Yeah. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. I gotta get that. That's great. Yeah. So I can't thank you enough. Are there any other movies you wanted to mention uh recommending to people for any of these that we brought up um you mean like uh double features kind of yeah thing yeah we kind like of that? programmed the hell out of the window so many good <laughs> ideas harold well, Maud, yeah. there's so many i think films that were influenced by it uh heaven can wait um i guess you can watch i really want to go back now and watch here comes mr jordan because i don't really remember that one yeah, you know, um, I, I watched yeah. that not that long ago, and um, it's got some really good lines in it. I can't, but I'm kind of, it kind of yeah, escaped me a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, Ishtar, I mean, Ishtar could be yes. a really good good double with Evan Can Wait. I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I think that we were headed in the right direction with, uh, Wes Anderson for um yep. for Harold, Harold and Maud. I mean, especially that I mean he he's always mm -hmm. doing good stuff with soundtrack work. I'm trying to think of another film that uses one artist in the way that that Harold and Maud uses Cat Stevens. I'm sure they I'm sure they exist. I'm just blanking off the top of my head. Yeah. You mentioned the gra the graduate obviously is jumps to mind, but um yeah, I think um, another one I think of, although they used uh, the Water Boys and a couple other artists, I always think of Goodwill Hunting using, we just mentioned Elliot Smith. So that's. Oh, yeah, yeah, had. yeah. Yeah, Definitely. they used him quite a bit. Um, Sandra Lerchey did um, a really good soundtrack for Dan in Real Life. That's another movie I love. That's mm. kind of underseen, underrated. Uh, let's see, Pieces of April had another oh, yeah. uh, those were existing songs by the magnetic fields but yeah yeah so some of them i haven't seen that one since it came out That'd i know me too easy. yeah good thanksgiving movie but good for yeah. the holiday season yes yeah i'm gonna kick myself i'm sure there's something else and i know there's probably glaring ones that were totally yeah. and people will be re replying like you forgot and yeah. uh, yes we did but you know, when you see as many movies as Bill and I, it's hard to like focus on one thing because our minds are going very quickly. Yes. Yeah, it's true. I'm I'm really and yeah, except for stuff that's very fresh in my mind or stuff yeah. I've rewatched a million times. I I'm I'm really my memory is uh, 
sometimes not the best. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could say Once, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Marquette Glova and Glenn Hansard and The Frames. But that was yeah. kind of, a, you know, existing music and they built it around that. But as far yeah. as just using a pop artist in the background... I think Harold and Maude probably takes the cake. Yeah. Is it true? I just read somewhere yesterday. You probably know the answer to this. And I didn't I didn't verify it, but I read it somewhere that um, originally it was going to be Elton John. Who... Yes, I read that too. And I'm like looking for more information. Ashby was hoping it would be, and I think Higgins too. I think it was Higgins' idea. He had seen like photos of him or and heard the music and just thought, wouldn't that be interesting to play Harold mm. and uh, also do the music? And so part of me, like reading all the different names, Richard Dreyfus and Bob Balaban and people they were throwing around, I was like, no, no, no. Elton John, I kind of stopped on and thought that might have been interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I saw I saw somebody mention it in a review and I'd never, I'd never heard that. I had never uh, either. Yeah. And then um, um, Bud Court, of course, Brewster McLeod, one year earlier, he was sort of getting oh, yeah. typecast as this, you know, beloved weirdo. And we love that. Yeah. I love Brewster McLeod. That'd be a good yeah, uh, fun movie. That'd be a good one to double with it, too. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking I might need to do like a Shelley Duvall episode or an Altman episode. Well, I already did one Altman one this year, like Trippy Altman, some of his yeah, yeah. stuff. but. But like a Shelley Duvall episode, I think uh, would be so much fun. I love Shelley Duvall. Yeah. 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 We have to I'd add be, it to our list. Yeah. yeah. Our, Bill and I have this list. enormous list of like <laughs> things we're we're talking about for the future. And it's it's great. Yeah. It is. I'm I am i am excited about all of it. But yeah, I, yes. I would love that. And I think, yeah, I think uh with her, I love her. I mean, non non film stuff too. That fairy tale theater stuff she did. Oh yeah, That's, I remember uh, that amazing. growing yeah. up. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Shelley Duvall fan. Yeah. So what we're saying is these movies are a good gateway for all of this other wonderful stuff. But Bill, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It was a real pleasure and just oh, so much of fun. Course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great to great to talk to you and uh, and especially you know about these these movies that that I love so thanks Perfect. next up we have my good friend actor Rob Belushi here with his mother Sandy to discuss one of Sandy's favorite movies Reds which has just been given a new 40th anniversary blu-ray release in time for the holidays so how are you guys doing today great good thank you so is much. that Angelica Houston I see before me <laughs> <laughs> Mom, good. So good to have you. Jen is be quickly becoming one of my most treasured friendships. Um, Likewise. Thank you. She's a brilliant uh, film writer, podcaster, and uh, nice critic, I guess, reviewer. Yeah. Writer herself. Um, But I hate to say, this is a podcast about unhealthy mother-son relationships. <laughs> and we knew that if you thought it was about Reds, you would show up. Rob. We will be talking about two <laughs> movies, Psycho and Flowers in the Attic. <laughs> I, I don't, know. don't listen to him. <laughs> I know. This is my life, John. Seriously. <laughs> Does he do this all the time? Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, since he was about eight years old. Okay. So, did Ron for, tell you that I'm actually, I lived in Naperville when I was really little? No way. Yeah, I lived there from the early 80s. So about like 81, 82 through 85, 86. Yeah. All cornfields. Yeah, exactly. It was the sticks back then. And I guess now it's really fancy. And that's what that's I hear. Cool. Lots of um, nouveau riche people. Yeah. Oh, she's getting in the red speak already. There we go. I, I <laughs> Let the class warfare begin. Speaking yes, of class yes. warriors, who's yeah. that uh, handsome guy behind you? Is that Jack Reed? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Ooh. The one and only. Oh, uh, if go. Jack Reed was an Italian American. <laughs> Hi, Tom. And Bob. <laughs> That's my friend Jen. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. Okay, this is not about you. <laughs> I told him to come in. Okay. You did? You did? <laughs> They're newlyweds, Jen. They just got married last year or this That's year. Right. Congratulations. So exciting. Yes. Oh, so cool. <laughs> Mom, yes. tell him you tell Jen your wedding date. 9-11. Wow. You wanted to make like a good memory for that day, right? You know what? It was Tom's responsibility to schedule <laughs> the date. <laughs> it's true. And and Rob and Chelsea were coming in. We wanted to get married before they came. And then Tom said, you know what? We can't get an appointment you know, on these until this date. So we're just going to have to do it. Um, so it wasn't really mine, but Robert would like to give me it. So for okay. you listeners at home, my mother is uh, just a quick description. If you're not watching this, she is yeah, they'll uh, be listening. <laughs> she, yeah. She's decked out in her uh, copyright, Sandy bold color choices of uh, gray and black. <laughs> my mom loves black i mean come on it's the classic yeah. color let's yeah i've been wearing it since i was 23 the same exactly outfit. you when found you first something that worked you stuck with it i like that i yeah. love um, drop the padded shoulders so they're gone okay that's good yeah. yeah i was excited to leave that trend behind as well mm-hmm. yeah but Rob, I know you just produced a movie. It's coming out. Is it January? Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, thanks. You know, uh, I, I I was an associate producer, so I'd like to call it production help. But uh, of a friend of mine, Mike Weaver, uh, he wrote it, the film and appeared in it. And, you know, we got the movie together and made and executed. And it's a small release. It's called Arctic Void. There, will, It's just a, you know, five theater um premiere but it will be streaming soon and keep a lookout for arctic void it's a uh, a eerie thriller that takes place way north in fact it's the northernmost location any film has ever been shot it was a uh, wow a crew of 16 people and um pretty cool we, we just wanted to get it made and we did and we're pretty pleased with the way it turned out so mike mike is uh, a talented guy arctic void very cool. We'll have to look for that. Well, Sandy, Thanks. one of the things that Rob has told me about you is how very much you love this movie. You're not oh alone. Longtime listeners will remember I talked about Reds with writer Carrie Corrigan, the Brightwall Dark Room comfort movies episode. But for those listening who might not be familiar, Reds chronicles 
a handful of artists, journalists, and left-wing activists in their political pursuits during the first part of the 20th century. Which takes us from before World War I America to Russia around the time of the revolution, featuring real-life testimonials from those who knew the characters brought to life by Warren Beatty, Diane Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Edward Ehrman, Paul Servino, Gene Hackman, and Maureen Stapleton Best in a terrific blend of documentary and traditional narrative storytelling. This 1981 epic was directed and produced by Warren Beatty and written by Beatty along with Trevor Griffiths. And of course, an uncredited assist by Elaine May and Robert Town, among others. It's a definite classic. Sandy, why don't you tell me about your relationship to and love of Reds? Well, first of all, I, you know, it started before World War One, and yes. it was, it was during the beginning of the development of um, the concept of um, the masses that, mm-hmm. you know, the development of unions, the inequity yeah. in our social system, you know, um, and mom, can I ask you a question? Yes. I'm so sorry. We're just almost out of time. But are, <laughs> are you are you a Bolshevik? I am not a Bolshevik, but I went. I did visit a couple communist meetings in the city. Okay, years ago. Okay. Remember? Okay, um, we got to stay on topic, Mom. I'm so sorry. Reds. No. You're talking about the movie Reds. <laughs> no, but you're right. It 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 goes from the beginning of the century and deals with unions and trying to get that concept of, you know, fair workplaces. And I, I love the optimism and the idealism. And yeah, it's just about passionate people, very larger than life characters. Do you remember seeing this in the theater? Um, I do remember seeing it. Yeah. I, I just, I really love that. I love the energy of revolutionaries, you know, mm-hmm. in, whatever it is, politics or art or even, you know, everyday work, you know, I mean, it's just um, people who are um, awake and, and willing to, to take action. And of course, Emma, you know, um, Goldman. Yeah. Who, you Didn't know. you have a brief affair with her mother? <laughs> Emma Goldman? That was, No. <laughs> That was off off topic, Rob. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, it's her relationship with, what's that? That was Emma Birnbaum. Ah, okay. Totally different Emma. See? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I I just, I really love, well, my favorite scenes are uh, the scenes on the beach and just the the freedom of artists, you know, Mm -hmm. in the New York in the time and and how you know especially for women you know being a woman is political you know it's yeah. like poverty is political and um, violence is political and and to be able to take a stand in a time where you risk so much um, mm-hmm. you know I mean I just love the union organizing I just love yeah I love the energy of that time me too. I think it has one of my favorite Jack Nicholson performances. That's yes. Eugene O'Neill. He's amazing. Yeah. It's like a 
a tender, a more sensitive Jack Nicholson than we usually get. And I just love it. Yeah. I like when um, she's talking to him, um, you know, after she moved into the house and she married. Oh, um, heartbreaking. And he's there and Mm -hmm. he's have any whiskey and she's very very anxious and finds yeah. the whiskey he asks for a glass which is what occurred when they f- first met yeah and then um she told him that she was married and you know that they're free and they're really free and it's a free time but of course she was really hanging on to a lot of iowa yeah. mid- middle class values and kind mm-hmm. of herself but he says to her are you making this up as you go? Which yeah. is really funny. Very funny. Yeah. Do Rob, you, you... I know you just saw it. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Reds? You watched all 195 minutes for the first time last night. Mm-hmm. You watched it at my house. Oh, okay. You saw it. Did, did I, Mom? How many times did we watch this movie growing up? Zero? <laughs> Never. How many times did we put it on? You know what? There, this That's not film, her fault, Rob. <laughs> you're a lot like Warren Beatty, who uh, in 1982, it must have taken a, a, a pretty courageous man to use his creative currency to make this film during the early Reagan years. Yeah. Much like yeah. Warren Beatty, you use all of your creative currency within the home to try to get us to watch this goddamn film all the time. <laughs> I know. I'm going to push it again this Christmas. I can't wait. I can't wait. Mom, <laughs> first of all, the film was, um, I'll let you, uh, you are my two favorite people discuss the film more. My, my interest is more, um, I did love Jack Nicholson. I, I love yeah. Warren Beatty. I, I loved Warren Beatty's um, relationship towards Louise, mm-hmm. he kind of just let her. He wasn't very controlling of her. Um, no, I thought that was an interesting thing, especially for a guy you know who's very much a star to put himself in that role. I thought she was great. The acting was phenomenal. The story was heartbreaking. I mean, it was a sad ass movie, but um, it is. Yeah, mom, weren't you, there's a line that uh, Jen likes to tell that one of the witnesses says what's that line that you tweeted jen about artists oh i'll find it i loved it Rob, were you mom were you one of the witnesses <laughs> <laughs> i wish i would have been yeah i i mean and he he wrote the 10 days that shook the world yeah I, mean, I remember i remember that book talking about that book in my after high school college philosophy class um, you know, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. You have to be a bit of a rebel to be an artist of any kind, I believe. Yeah. That yeah. was a line I loved. Yep. Mom, mom, would you call yourself an artist? Didn't, weren't you a professional artist for a while? Um, I, th- I think so. <laughs> no, it was, you mean back in the day when I was young and idealistic and working in the theater? When did you stop all that? Hmm. Well, I did a vagina monologues. All right. <laughs> this just so took never, a turn, Rob. Yeah. 
I so thought she was going to say when I was born, which is what she usually says. <laughs> it's true. So that my birth was the death of her art is what I was getting no, to. No, it doesn't ever kill your art. It's all in no. there. Yeah. Mom, <laughs> no, if you I had to have, go ahead. I, I wanted to, I wanted to be there. I couldn't yeah. figure out how you do both very well. Mm-hmm. My mom was the same way. I'm as old as Reds. And I think back then that was kind of a choice um, that, yeah, it's how do you balance both? And so my mom was around for my young years. And yeah, I think that was great. Yeah. Yeah. You but, did do it. I'm just teasing. You were a wonderful mother. Yes. He's told so many great stories. So, uh, yeah. You do kind of have, um, would you say that you take criticism similar to Diane Keaton's character, Louise, in the film? Um, I thought she took criticism very well from Eugene O'Neill when she was standing behind the moon. Yeah, you don't smoke in the monologue. I mean, we all know that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. But boy, were those scenes explosive between her and Warren Beatty. And they were a couple at this time. And I was reading some behind the scenes um, articles on it. And they were talking about this basically killed their relationship because Warren makes you do like 70 or 80 takes and they're screaming at each other so much. And that would have been exhausting. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But it works for the movie. Yeah. Method acting. There you go. (laughs) God, that the, the amount of time it takes her to get to him is it really builds. It does. I don't know why. I forgot that the film continued, you know, the railway station scene. It's on all of the film specials over the years. They always show that moment. So I was thinking that was the end of the movie. I saw this probably the last time a long time ago. And um, yeah, so I'm like, oh, what a beautiful ending. And then it kept going. And I'm like, oh, that's right. He dies. And yeah. Spoiler alert, anyone. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah exactly. Think, yes. yes. Would you say that you are the Jack Reed of the hospital that you work in? <laughs> Rob I, is like w- digging here. <laughs> I, I would say um, I was an ineffective rabble rouser. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, mom. Okay. All right. Next up, mom. What do you relate to most in the film? Oh, well, I mean, I just, it's just so romantic to me. It's very Mm -hmm. romantic, I think. And just the romance and, and the, and the strength it takes to kind of be an artist and, and, and want to do something that, that is just your, what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. And I, I really love watching, I mean, in, in terms of Diane Keaton's character, um, you know, what she had the ability to experience in Iowa was, was pu- pushing, pushing out the edges for Iowa. Mm-hmm. Port, you mean Portland, Mom? Oh, yeah, Portland. I'm sorry. Yeah. Portland. No, keep going. Um, You're from Iowa. You're injecting yourself into the story. So sorry. Yeah. So um, from Portland. Yeah. And, um, you know, fas- fashioned herself as this very radical, you know, free modern woman. And yeah. Really, and really the values were still, 
needing to have kind of her feet on the ground connected to a traditional role to to push out against. Yeah, that's so hard because you want to you want to be free, but also there's the the role you're kind of forced into as a woman in society and society might not be there yet with what you want. So yeah, I the struggle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, if she wasn't married to a dentist who is well known in the community. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't have even been in a gallery. But I That's think true. Yeah. yeah. Um so, I mean, to that, to that point to that point, mom. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, mom. Excuse me. It's your answers are so thoughtful and lovely and beautiful, uh, <laughs> but it's not going to repel me from making fun of you more. Would you say for, but for wait, these... wait, let me, let me finish my thought about yeah. this, the, the transformation of her into really being more mm-hmm. really what was in her spirit when she went to Paris. Yeah. She went to Paris and probably propositioned and then dropped and had to figure out how to be on her own yep. and how to find herself and find her voice and find her passion um, and, and live before mm-hmm. there was really somebody there. Yeah. Well, absolutely. mom, this sounds a little bit like somebody we know. Who? Do, who? You, mom. Really? You are a survivor. You are a very, you are a wonderful, infuriating survivor. I give Aww. you props there. That's great. Pursuant to you and, and Jen's comments about being a woman and pushing back, at moment 96 in the film is the first time Diane Keaton says thank you or sh- shows politeness at all. Oh, was, wow. that, was that exciting for you to see it take so long or were you bummed that she acquiesced to say thank you at all? I didn't even notice personally. I don't know. You got it. I don't know. When did she say thank you? Oh, when uh, in the when they she, he, when they were in her little creative space. Yes. Okay. No, no. Damn it! I didn't write that down. It's either when Eugene and Neil. No, no. I think I think Jack helps her, and she says thank you. Okay, mm-hmm. you didn't notice that so much. Okay. Um, no. From this point on, should I call you Comrade Sandy? <laughs> I got Comrade laugh. Mom. Come on. You, you know what's <laughs> wonderful about my mother, Jen? Is I'm loving her. Yeah. <laughs> she never. I mean, in, of course, my mother only exists in relation to me and my experience. So um, I'm sure she is a human being elsewhere. But Mom, you never make me feel like um, like Louise makes Jack Reed feel on the train where she doesn't laugh at his jokes, but laughs at the, would you like a yes. salami guy? Yes, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. That was a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my nightmare. And even when you're really upset, you, you still laugh, which is Aww. a great strength slash weakness. Speaking yeah. of menage a trois, mom, there was much ado about menage a trois in the film. Way to go with the segue there, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> um, wh- which two historical figures would you like to be in a menage a trois with. Oh man. My gosh, there's so many. Yeah. Well, let's open it up to a full-blown orgy. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to do push that. back. Push no. back. No, Robert. We're still Iowa here. We can't. That's yeah. right. 
Yeah. Plus we're going to leave people out. And then like in the middle of the night, we'll be like, damn it. Yeah. No. All right. Let's keep it more bourgeois. Mom, in your uh, monogamous uh, bourgeois marriage with Tom right now, what is his reaction when you put on reds? (laughs) It goes in the other room. (laughs) Yeah, He understands like she needs reds. He's okay with it, Rob. <laughs> Thank God. It's not yeah. Then there's more than one TV, right? Yeah. So he doesn't sit there and like every five minutes, what does, so he doesn't do the play-by-play or anything. That's good. Right. Yeah. Right. If you had to pick a character from Reds that is Tom, who would it be? Ooh. Well. He'd have to be the Paul Servino character. I loved that's him. What, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I thought. Good yeah. answer. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, of course, would be Emma Goldman. But right I don't on. think I would have lived through prison. Pretty sure I would have died. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Sh- I love the, um, do you have, what was the coffee, Sanborn? Jason Sanborn. Mm-hmm. Coffee. Do you remember that? Like um, when they went to Jack's apartment in New York and somebody brought Chase and Sanborn coffee. They said, do you want coffee? Is it Chase and Sanborn? Yeah, I love that. And then in prison in Russia, she was talking about the coffee, too, which I really loved. Yeah. You know, and that was back just, you know, I mean, People would use the same coffee grounds for days back then when you were poor. True. So Chase and Sandborg must have been a good coffee. Mm-hmm. That's all I love the writing. There's so much you learn about these people just uh, based on the little details like that. Like they would ask right. for that or um, their little behaviors that shine through. One of my favorite scenes with Diane Keaton was when she was um, being questioned about like, and that's when she gives the speech about, you know, uh, the president said he wasn't going to get us into war. He did. And then that, and then when she uses the line about religion versus atheists, I just, I thought the whole thing was, was great. Oh, like, Christian, Christian beliefs. The yes. The Senate panel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such a good scene. Yeah. I thought, I mean, yeah, I thought that scene was, was excellent. Excellent, and sh- and her at her at her be- like most clear, and the writing at its most clear, and could be transposed onto today. In, in, in very a much. lot of issues that still are maintaining in the world around us, like that one is just yeah. So true. But you know, you know what else is interesting that I th- that I think about when I watch this uh-huh. is, um, you know. When years ago, when I worked with a um, anti-warehousing of people movement, mm-hmm. um, and I would bring Robert to the shelter with me, um, but um, I I learned a lot with those women. And what shelter, Mom? Tell tell Jen a little bit more. She doesn't know shorthand. So after I got divorced, I started volunteering with mm-hmm. an organization called Deborah's Place. And I just met some really incredible, strong women. And I learned, um, I just learned, I really was able to see how um, the the pain of poverty and homelessness 
you know, people, uh, you know, especially middle-class people need to see it through a lens yep. of, of character and, and not, um, culture, you know? Yeah. But, um, that work propelled you to work at, um, a home, uh, a home for homeless girls, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Went from so women good. to girls. Yeah. So after I got out of grad school, I wanted to work, um, within, I wanted to do work with women that were homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is really off the reds thing, but what I was thinking, this is what it's I was interesting, it's class, though. It's class warfare, mom. Yeah. yeah. Class warfare. But on the other hand, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, there was a, another kind of, uh, revolution, cultural revolution, right? Yeah. And, um, in high school, we were fighting against the Vietnam War. We were, mm-hmm. Gloria Steinem came to be and, you know, I just loved her. And um, so she's probably in your, in your group. She would be in my group. Yes. And I did meet her. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did you hook up? I, I didn't, but she laughed at a joke I told. Yeah, I mean better. that's a different podcast. Yeah, it's Rob. Even better. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but my point is that you know there was a lot of criticism in um, in terms of the the women's revolution being led by you know white educated women, and I wonder, you know, there's a whole different way you're raised when you're raised in poverty, and especially as a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, being outspoken in that way, um, and I and I had a I have a very good friend that kind of um, taught me about that. You know, we take it for granted, um, but you know, as a woman of color, you know, you're you're, you're the the consequences are going to be different. Yeah. So very I mean, true. had she not been white, upper middle class, Portlandian. Um, there would have yeah. been a move. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mom, just to, <laughs> just to use a quotation from the film, we're in a podcast and everyone has credentials here. That is, listeners, what it sounds like when a joke has the opposite effect. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that your mom's awesome and has credentials to talk about reds. Is that what? Absolutely. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. She, yeah. She's, she's, it's, well, I was waiting for like a profound follow up. Has credentials yeah. here. Yeah. You Remember? mean like street cred? Street cred? No, no. When they're, when they're at the Russian um, meeting and Warren Beatty's like, I can't speak. I don't have credentials. And the Russian says, everybody has credentials here. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Good job, Robert. A little yeah. inside baseball there. Uh, Mom, when, when do you make Tom dress up like Lennon when you make Bedroom Revolution? Well, you know. <laughs> He's got a goatee lately. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what I saw today? Not to move off the subject again. And okay. I'm okay with uh, it. Yeah. They have little teeny ornaments that you can put in a beard. mom you were you were i think 24 years old when reds came out correct that that was 82 81 yeah 
81, I was 26. Did you see it when it came out? Mm-hmm. It must have made a big impact to you on you at that time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a, a time of... Um, Mom, what have I told you about that? What? It's like, I'm turning it off. I'm turning it we off. We can edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think, yeah, there were a lot of you know, searching. Yeah. It was a searching time. We should ask, you know, 81 was the same year we had like Chariots of Fire, which ugh, I, you know, on Golden Pond, there were a lot of, this did not win Best Picture. Chariots of Fire did. I wouldn't be able to watch that one again. It bored me to tears. I'm sorry. But what is your thinking on what was nominated and should Reds have just swept all the categories? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. it was epic. And I, I think, you know, um, at the time, you know, I don't know, there was, there was a, a cooling off of kind of, you know, what culminated probably in the early seventies and oh, true, yeah, a lot of cultural unrest and mm -hmm. protests and, yeah, I think. this feels kind of like a seventies movie. And I guess Warren Beatty wanted to make it as far back as the sixties. He was starting to write it then. And he had to wait until heaven can wait, which kind of gave him enough success or as Rob said, enough juice to be able to go, Hey, I'm making reds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same, a lot of the same messages. He comes back to in Bullworth, you know, over yeah. and over. He, he bless him. He had, he mm -hmm. has a point of view that is, Yes. Yeah. Empathetic, if mm -hmm. not perfectly executed all the time. I mean, I watched this movie and I checked, I checked in at the, at the halfway point and I thought I'd been watching this movie for three and a half years. <laughs> I, I will say the second half is a little, it feels longer, maybe a little, but it's, it's still which is crazy. Cause the first half felt like I was in, <laughs> Oh, a no. cell with Warren Beatty in <laughs> Finland. Okay. Like <laughs> passing messages to my wife. That asking was so, her where she is. Wasn't that romantic? Yes. I thought I mean, so. horrible to say. Yeah. I can't even imagine, you no. know, how she survived that trip. And, and, you know, like people forget, how did you even communicate? You know, you, you, yeah you know, to, to, there's so much faith, trust, and instinct mm -hmm. that guided you. You couldn't check everything out or fact check on the internet, you know? I mean, yeah. And he had to know deep down, she's working on the other side. Like she's going to get here. Yeah. I liked that. Yeah. It's, it was, I could not, I, I can't, I just, I think the mom, I can see you making that trip for me. I would make that trip for you, Robert. Yeah, I think most like good moms would. Come on. Yeah. 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 And I know how to cross country ski. So I could get across the totally. Arctic. Yeah. No. I would be screwed, but Sandy would be able to continue on. Like, Rob, if you need <laughs> us, we're gonna like it's gonna be like past the baton. Sandy's gonna ski now. Yeah. And we'll get up. Jen, um, it it would be great if if you if you made the effort to come get me out of a finished prison, but I'd be like, this is, 
this is shocking how much effort you're putting in chat. Like, uh, I'm in love with you too, I guess. Uh, <laughs> hey, anything for my pals, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> All um, my game Juan, night buddies, know- I'm going to bust you guys out of places, you bet. That's Can true. You, I think- um, did you- Mom, do you smoke because you think it's radical? Not anymore. Uh oh, we're getting political, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long ass pause. Not anymore. You don't think it's radical anymore, or you don't smoke anymore, Senator. So I want to just say one thing. You know, um, <laughs> you know who you know <clears throat> Max Eastman is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was and- the, he was the dad in the Lost Boys. Of course, I know who he is. No, he wasn't. The, sa- the same actor played this, the, the guy who moves in with Diane Weist in The Lost Boys. The head vampire. It's the same actor. I mean the real man. Yeah, Max Eastman. Yeah. Rob is trying to take it to the, <laughs> the credits. Go ahead, Mom. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Tell everybody, yes. But, you know, I think Max Eastman was the guy, because I met him and his wife, um, when I was on the vineyard, I remember there was something, I was there, Judy was there, and um, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like awestruck, and like, I just get really shy, usually, but yeah, I, I think it was the guy um, telling the story at the start of the film, kind of with the wire glasses, then... I love the <laughs> that you know all the different women's perspectives. Yeah, very true. Story about and she wanted that coat. Yes, and she gave her like she kept at her with the coat, and then she yeah, gave her the yeah. coat. Yeah, I thought well, that was know, funny. I had lots of coats, so I gave it to her. Yeah, that was and that, nice. You know the perception of women and. <clears throat> I was always curious who Mabel Dodge was, who Warren Beatty dated also. Mm-hmm. I was going to look that up, but I didn't have time. Yeah. You, were, you had a busy weekend, Mom? I did, yeah. Yeah. I know. She had to you steal know. herself up to, to get razzed by you. I mean, come on, Rob. <laughs> oh, don't you? You're my friend, Jen. No, you are my friend. <laughs> hey, Sandy's. Sandy rocks. Come on. Hey. She yeah. does. Sandy does. <laughs> rock. Everyone Monica. loves the Sando yeah. comrade Sandy. Definitely. Too. Yeah. That's right. Mom, and- um, did you like how uh you know a movie that has quite a bit of exposition and also like um I would say dogmatic, well, philosophical quandary. Sometimes Beatty would throw in some fun bits, like when he's cooking dinner poorly and like everything keeps getting worse in the kitchen and she's at the door, like pumping Expo through the door. (laughs) But we get to listen to that and watch him. Mm -hmm. Struggle, yeah. Struggle in that domestic space. Yeah. 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 That was romantic. And again, you know, like back in the day and the time in the day, um, you know, I grew up in a time where, you know, you were supposed to get married mm-hmm. and everybody got married after high school. And that's what you did. You started yeah. a life. <laughs> of course, at the time, my mother was divorced. So we were that was like a, um, a conflict in my mind. 
Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted it, but then I'm thinking maybe not. And um, anyway. Yeah. No, that was the time for sure. I mean, my parents got married on, um, I mean, not the date. They're not that old. Uh, it was uh, Pearl Harbor Day, just like you're 9-11. Um, they're divorced oh, now, but what yeah. a dink, man. they're not still married, but they're very, they're great people. So yeah, you know, neither are my parents and my mom is a great person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah. So, you know, just like nine 11, you can get married on any day and yeah, exactly. Why not? You bet. Hey, you know, one of my favorite, uh, um, well, there's two things that I just wanted to say. Sure. Uh, one thing was, you know, uh, the Trotsky and Lenin, the red and white, white war in Russia, um, you know, and the, uh, the protest against sort of the, the Royal system, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander, um, and the people, and at the time, Russia was mostly a farming country, right? And yeah, the peasants, were yep. Starving peasants. Yeah. Right? And so from um, Trotskyism to Leninism, there were huge changes. And it just reminds me of, you know, they were talking about in the film in New York, in the, in the meeting, about um, Democrats were mm-hmm. not were, were Democrats were not the kind of liberal voice in the political no. system. Oh, yeah, not then. Yep. So you know, I mean, it's like Bob Dylan saying, you know, whichever the wind, way the wind blows. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you got to be careful, align yourself with anything because because uh, because idealism gets lost with power. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Exactly. I love Bob Dylan. Yeah. yeah. What is with Diane Keaton and epics? I mean, she's always went. You brought up, yeah, the Senate panel. Hello, Godfather too. She's always in these long movies. I mean, she was in other ones, of course, with Woody and stuff like that. But Diane Keaton, synonymous with epics this era. Yes. Mom, That's do you feel like a whole, like your whole generation of, you know, Caucasian women wanted to be Diane Keaton? No. I don't okay. There was was still... that a weird thing to say? We'll cut that maybe. No, no. Oh, no. I, I think she was really popular, but. Um, I but wanted yeah. to be Diane Keaton. And, and I mean, I didn't want to be Diane Keaton. I wanted to be a part of all the characters. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I related to that. I I could find a part of myself in those characters, you know? Yeah, that's what made her so great. Yep. If you had to go Keaton versus Streep, which would you do, Mom? Oh, that's too hard. Yeah, you'd have to go Keaton in one movie and Streep in a movie. I I don't think there's a better performance. I mean, I love... Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about the deer hunter, Mom? Oh, yes. Yeah. Another great movie about class and war. Yeah. We could watch that for Christmas this year. There you go. Everybody wins, Rob. Yep. You have to know. I mean, 
if there is a movie that can grind me into dust more than reds, I believe it's the deer hunter, mom. Good job. Good job. <laughs> My cousin George is going to love that. I'm going to be like, Hey buddy, got you out of reds this year. Thanks Rob. Yes. We're, we're doing Shimino's masterpiece. We're doing the deer hunter. <laughs> 45 minutes of, uh, you know, Romanian Orthodox wedding. Not Come Romanian. On. Best. Is it Romanian? Oh, I could have just lived in that whole opening sequence. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. that is a wedding I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I stood up to a couple of those weddings when I was 17. So <laughs> super fun. There you go. This is wonderful. Are there any other questions you wanted to ask, Rob, or any thoughts you had, Sandy, on Reds? Well, I just think it's a good time to kind of check into Reds. Yeah. Given, given where we are right now. I know. <laughs> the very polarized kind of mm -hmm. reality and people trying to sort things out for themselves. And uh, we've lived in a world where, you know, the self is more important than the collective. And, you know, I think we're uh -oh. being. Uh -oh. No, this is great. I agree You're with sitting her. sitting back in that office chair, Jen. Look out. I know. Mom. I completely agree. So I, I think it's always a good time to watch Reds, but especially right now. Yeah. 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 Mom, if you could, if, if you could have one wish granted, what would it be? He's putting you on the spot. Boy. <laughs> I got this one. You mean in regard to the movie? Sure. Um, would it? Be, I mean, is I would have loved to play Emma Goldman. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that Oscar that Maureen Stapleton has, it's yours. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yay. Yes. I love Maureen Stapleton. I know she's so good. Yes, I love that line about um, you know putting it in the the paper or picture. Like they're scared of this woman. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. It yeah. was uh, it, this. Thank you for your time, Jen. You, she thank is you, guys. It's so mind. nice to meet you, Sandy. Nice this to meet you, too. Yes. So many. This is the most. I'm oh, sorry, Mom. Same. This is the most Sandy movie ever. And it. And now that I've finally seen it, um, I understand more about my mother. But also, I didn't have to see this movie to know any of this because I know my mother. So that's great. The revolution died when the baby boomers bought BMWs in 1983. But mom, you still live on. Yes. <laughs> That's right, Robert. Yeah, fighting the good fight. Yeah. Fight, fight. <laughs> she That's does. Right. If you find if you find a manager or a position of power in any structure, my mother will give her <laughs> opinion loudly. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that she works. About, right, where I work. But, you know, right. there's many times where I should have, I almost was fired. But there's something about me that I didn't get fired. Yeah, you're level-headed. You have your, you made your points. Yeah, I bet. I don't know. And you're very mother, polite. Yes, so I can see, yeah. Her only real weakness, Jen, is ordering a meal off of a set menu in a restaurant. That's isn't that everyone's though? Like it's, it's oh, too much no. pressure. No, oh, or, uh, no, oh, no, Jen, no. you could never go okay. out to eat with Robert. No. Uh oh. I mean, <laughs> no, they have Jen. They have a menu for a reason. Yeah. Just pick something <laughs> off the menu. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, like I might like something, but I might want something on the side. And then, yes. yeah, mom, just take it off. What's the big deal? <laughs> oh, no. We, we really are pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like, we'll go to like uh, the International House of Pancakes, and my mom will be like, you know, do you have prime rib? And it's like, <laughs> They actually do, I think, now. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I do that, though. Like, I'll order a turkey avocado um, club or croissant, and I'll be like, I could leave the avocado. Like, you don't have to put it on. So So I do that. We would drive them nuts, basically. Yeah. Go ahead, Yeah. I'm sorry. Just as we transition to food, which women tend to do. But, Robert, actually, you brought up the food thing. Yeah. Mom. Let's yes. let's not dichotomize gender, you know. Okay. I'm just saying no, I think we if do. you go back to the hunters and gatherers time. Yeah. Which was which was when when I hit start on reds. <laughs> Robert, you're so funny. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to be a villain here, Mom. No, <laughs> no way. So hunter gatherers, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, women tend to organize community. Food is a really important part yeah. of them. You know, if if the um, union labor movement was going on and women were running it, mm-hmm. those meeting halls would have been more lovely. There would have been yeah. coffee and donuts, like. Exactly. And more effective. Yeah. It'd be less about power and more about exactly. action. People could exchange their ideas over breakfast. Yep. Everybody wins. We wouldn't yeah. have menus. You could just tell us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could order anything you yeah. want. You yeah. want a minimum wage increase? We would send our hunter gatherers to go get those things. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're running the show, Rob. That's what's happening. No. Exactly. Healthcare's not on the menu. I'm ordering it anyway with dental and vision. I've worked here 34 years. Yeah, why aren't those included? Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Those things (laughs) you can order up. And 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 hearing. hearing. Yeah. Right. And we know that dental disease is linked to heart disease, right? Yeah. And hearing disease is also linked, you know, and they just would like to get more people off off the dole, off the social security dole. We really don't want them to live to be 100. I know. Yeah, it's so cruel. Yeah. Just to, just clarifying, Mom, you don't agree with that, correct? What? That's why we're here, Rob. That's Reds. Yeah, we're yeah. fighting okay. for these okay, things. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Increases <laughs> social safety net. Yes. Yes, a hundred percent. The rich are a disease. They should be eradicated. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah. Mom, and you know, you you, you struggle a lot. Equity, exactly. Yep. Yeah. If you really want to watch my mother begin a revolution, give her a glass and a half of Santa Margarita white wine, (laughs) and we're gonna we're gonna be burning the system down. Jen, was there anything else you wanted to say about Reds on your own podcast? (laughs) No, this was just such a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you both. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy you both so much. Love you guys. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Take care. So nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, how are you? So uh, I am all for filmmakers being able to tweak their work whenever and however they wish, provided they don't delete old versions or uh, make them impossible to track down like you know George Lucas has done where I've heard I am not a Star Wars expert by the way uh, that you know the stuff with Han and some of the special effects work is now on the VHS editions and gone basically from the annals of Star Wars history by all of these new editions like that's not cool you should always be able to see the original uh, film the theatrical cut, if you will. But I don't have any problem with filmmakers who made the work going ahead and uh, retooling it, especially if the studios force their hand or um, test audiences uh, and budget and things that they weren't able to do, songs that they weren't able to use, whatever the case may be. I love the bootleg cut or the longer cut of Almost Famous. I love uh, Godfather Coda. I should say the Godfather Coda is the Godfather 3, the death of Michael Corleone, the new cut, the uh, Cotton Club Encore by Francis Ford Coppola. How many different editions of Apocalypse Now have there been at this point? I've lost track. Uh, There's also now The Outsiders, the complete novel, which is available on the HBO Max platform, which I have yet to see, but I'm looking forward to doing so. I think it's really interesting and cool and valuable when filmmakers take their movies, um, things that have bothered them all of this time, especially if the footage is there, and do what they want, move things around if it's bothered them. It's kind of like when you take a test and it the whole time you're thinking, God, if I could go back when I'm done, uh, question three, I want to phrase it differently. And then you run out of time. This is a bad example, of course. This is uh, something far different than filmmaking. But I think it's their prerogative. And if it's bothered them all this time, they're the creator, go for it. That being said, uh, I think, as I said before, you should be able to see the first version and to see what was released to the public, to the masses. Ragtime, the Milos Forman film from 1981. So it is as old as I am. It's turning 40 this year, uh, was just released on Paramount Presents Blu-ray in a two-disc version. The first features the uh, theatrical cut by Milos Forman, the very uh, much (laughs) maligned, extremely divisive. I think like Roger Ebert liked it. I believe he gave it three and a half out of four stars. But critics basically eviscerated this film when it was released. I actually sent uh, Janet Maslin a direct message on Twitter um, to ask about it uh, before I watched the the film to say, you know, should I go in with director's cut or should I go with the theatrical one? And she said, no, definitely start with the theatrical cut uh, just to see what we saw back then. And she told me more about the history of the film, some stuff which is very easy to find on Wikipedia. This is, of course, the adaptation 
of the E.L. Doctoro uh, novel, the bestseller, uh, The Events of Early 1900s America from I'm reading from the back because it's easier. The emerging New York suburb of New Rochelle to the flashy spectacle of Atlantic City, a family faces racial tension, scandals, and violence that will test everything they believe in. So this is the film. Um, It was very maligned when it was made. And uh, Maslin said, I think she was quoting from her colleague at the New York Times at the time was uh, Vincent Canby. And he said that the film, like how was, or the film maybe shouldn't have even been made because the book itself was cinema. I have not read the book, so I am not an authority on the subject. Uh, But I went in, I watched the uh, 1981 version it was uh, torches. Uh, it was very hard to sit through. It's a 174-minute work. Uh, it does feature some remarkable performances, especially by Mary Steenburgen, who is, I mean, I have always been a big fan of Mary Steenburgen, and she is outstanding here. Uh, you have Brad Dorif, you have Moses Gunn, Elizabeth McGovern, the beautiful Elizabeth McGovern, um, Kenneth McMillan, Pat O'Brien, Donald O'Connor, James Olson, Mandy Patinkin, who I love, Howard E. Rollins Jr. Uh, you're also going to see just a wide array of people who would go on to be big stars. Samuel Jackson is in it for a little bit. You see uh, Jeff Daniels. Um, so it's interesting on that level, sort of depiction of great actors who did go on to be huge stars in the 90s who had bit parts in this and also ones who I feel like were never put on the path they should have been. I mean, in the 80s, Mary Steenburgen was amazing. And I feel like she could have been a Jessica Lange or um, like a Susan Sarandon or an actress of that level as far as just getting offered the parts she should have been offered. I mean, I feel like uh, she has those skills. She is on their level that way. But I wish that Mary Steenburgen that we had seen her have her own like um, Sophie's Choice or have her own uh, resurgence in the 90s. It's always great to see her in things. I'm still a huge fan. Um, she's excellent in this. And also, I would say the same thing about Elizabeth McGovern, who kind of got, um, you know, swept up in the 80s uh, by some of these movies, like uh, she's having a baby and things that maybe didn't, um, you know, she was also in Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, She had some just remarkable performances. And then she was sort of put through the 80s ringer and not offered the same roles that um, she should have been or set on the right path. It's great that she is in Downton Abbey and she's getting a resurgence uh, now as well. Just like it's wonderful to see Mary Steenburgen. But this film was a slog to sit through. I'm not going to lie. Um, the first disc, the feature film version, does feature new and deleted extended scenes. Uh, a conversation with Larry Karaszewski and the screenwriter Michael Weller on Ragtime. There's a commentary by Milos Foreman and executive producer Michael Hausman. Uh, there's a Remembering Ragtime special feature. The second disc 
is the never before released director's cut, the work print of the film. I am being a bad critic here. I did not actually watch this yet. I might have to go on ahead and like release an addendum onto an episode in the future after I watch this and be like, I need to eat my words or no, I was right. I couldn't force myself to be able to watch uh, more ragtime after making it through this edition of ragtime. So maybe look for that. You might see me on social media reference the director's cut when I get to it right now. I'm going through all of the screeners that are released for award season. So I did not uh, watch the director's cut that's on the second disc of this. But you know, maybe you're a fan of the theatrical cut. Maybe it was you and Roger Ebert singing its praises way back when in, uh, you know, 1981. But here it is on one of the beautiful uh, Paramount Presents editions uh, that the studio has released. And there you go with Ragtime. The next film released by Paramount, but Weirdly, it is not in that same series. Maybe it's coming at a, a future date. Uh, it seems like because this is such a beloved holiday favorite, it's like every year there's a new edition with this film. Uh, and I'm okay with it because it is one of my favorites. I am talking, of course, about the official Thanksgiving movie, at least in my house, as somebody who lived in um, the Chicago suburbs for a few years as a kid and grew up in the Midwest and has a similar uh, sensibility a little bit and also just grew up on the films of John Hughes. I am talking about, of course, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, it was made in 1987. It was, of course, written, produced, and directed by John Hughes. It sort of was his breakaway from making these teen movies. I mean, he'd written some movies for grown-ups earlier, uh, things like Mr. Mom, National Lampoon's Vacation, um, you know, European Vacation, which I did not like. Uh, but he was mainly known at this point for all of these teen movies or giving voices to young people in this country and what it was like. Um, Sixteen Candles was written in a rush um, the Breakfast Club, of course, is iconic. There's Pretty in Pink, which I don't love as much as some of my colleagues and some of the people from my generation, but it is a very enjoyable movie. I am partial to Some Kind of Wonderful. It's easily my favorite version of the same story. And I think maybe um, Hughes would agree because Pretty in Pink came first and then they sort of corrected the mistakes that they made. He also wrote uh, Ferris Bueller, uh, Fair Bueller's Day Off, I should say. Uh, after the Pretty in Pink year and the Ferris Bueller's Day Off year of 86, this came out one year later, the same year as Some Kind of Wonderful. So I guess what I'm saying is 1987 John Hughes is peak John Hughes for me. You have the best teen movie, the one he did not direct, that Howard Deutsch, who also made uh, Pretty in Pink from his screenplay, directed. And it's um, just a beautiful film. I love it. And then he made this film, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which he did direct. Again, he reunites with John Candy, who's one of his muses and just uh, the heart and soul of the film. He is wonderful here as Del Griffith, um, a shower curtain ring salesman who uh, crosses paths with Steve Martin's Neil Page. Neil is an uptight uh, jerk. 
um, from Chicago, trying to get home to his family in Chicago. They cross paths in New York. Um, it is the week of Thanksgiving. There are a series of problems that arise. They take a plane. The plane is, um, you know, rerouted. Can't get a hotel room. When is he going to get back on the plane? He tries a train. He tries automobiles. So it isn't just a clever title, you guys. They are trying all of these things. They're also trying buses and trucks and, um, you know, any means they can to get home. And it's increasingly ridiculous, increasingly hilarious. And it's just a great odd couple picture. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy are so well matched. Um, I love seeing uh, sort of the serious or the hard ass side of Steve Martin as kind of a, a pretentious or a pompous man. Um, knowing what you know about Steve Martin as somebody who collects art. And I remember in high school reading like Pure Drivel, which was a collection of, uh, of his stories and very funny, but he also is somebody who drops like, uh, to use a phrase, my relatives would say like $10 words, um, you know, multiple times in a sentence. He is a very intelligent uh, man and intellectual and even reading something like Shop Girl, you're going to see that side of him or his plays that he's written. And so I think this tapped in on maybe um, also, you know, of course, taking it to an extreme, but maybe who Steve Martin was is more of a serious guy who's also just funny as all get out. Uh, this is a decade after he was doing, you know, stand up magic and uh, banjo playing um, to huge auditoriums. I mean, the guy opened for like rock bands in the 70s. He could play for an auditorium that huge. That was Steve Martin. And so in the 80s, he was sort of pushing those beyond uh, pushing the boundaries beyond things like uh, the jerk and roles like that. And he plays a family man here. And somebody who has his little prejudices and biases about he's an elitist, um, he might not think so, but it is funny to see John Candy push those buttons and uh, things you will and will not tolerate. John Candy, I mean, my goodness, I love John Candy as a girl. He's just somebody whose heart is immediately accessible. He wears it on his sleeve. You see him and he's kind of like one of those people where uh, I'm sure this happened to him all the time when he was with us, um, where he'd be walking around and people feel like they know him and they probably want to, you know, give him a hug and he's a total stranger just because of these characters he brought to life. He was in a lot of these John Hughes movies, um, having small roles like, I mean, he's even in National Lampoon's Vacation as somebody that Chevy Chase holds up. Uh, the Great Outdoors is one I remember loving. It was made uh, a year later, again, uh, from uh, John Hughes' script, directed by Howard Deutsch with Dan Aykroyd. That, that's a great movie. Very, very fun. It isn't a, a classic on this level, but I just get the biggest kick out of that one. You know, he was in Home Alone. He had small parts in these. Uncle Buck was kind of uh, made around his persona, I would say. I bet this sort of showed what their collaboration was like, their friendship was like. And sure enough, Uncle Buck was made from a Hughes uh, screenplay. So you had The Great Outdoors and Uncle Buck in the 88 and 89. So kind of like this was the, the test run for, you know, building a vehicle around John Candy. 
uh, who was in a lot of funny things up till this point, but here you have a whole movie that is uh, built around him. It's a two-hander between him and Steve Martin, although you're going to see like uh, bit parts. Uh, Edie McClurg is very, very funny. You have Kevin Bacon in just a funny cameo at the beginning of the movie uh, a year before he's in like, she's having a baby uh, from John Hughes. And, you know, it's, it's just a marvelous film. If you have not seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, you need to remedy that immediately. My friend Kate was new to it. Um, I introduced her to it uh, this spring. She's kind of one of those people who loves classic movies, and she's basically a classic movie encyclopedia. But she missed out on some of these. Uh, this was made when she was, you know, just a baby, basically. And uh, she loved it. And it's one that, I mean... If you don't like this movie, I, I never want to be that person that says you have to like something. Otherwise, you know, we can't be friends. But if you don't at least find planes, trains, and automobiles funny, or um, you're not charmed by it, or you don't find it bittersweet at the ending, I might have some serious questions about um, your sense of humor or uh, your heart, because this film is... It just means the world to me. And I know I'm not alone. It's basically a, a Chicago classic. They play it at movie houses on Thanksgiving. I know it's played all across, probably all across um, the country on Thanksgiving. I know it was played here in Phoenix uh, Thanksgiving week, even this year uh, and even last year during COVID. Um, you know, I live in a red state, essentially, or a purple state. Um and it's the kind of film that just uh, brings families together. And one I remember watching just endlessly as a girl, it was on TV. We recorded it off TV. And so when I finally purchased the video, um, that's when I saw Steve Martin having a curse off with uh, uh, Edie McClurg at the car rental place for the first time, because that scene was not in the... Uh, ABC version of the film that played in the late 80s on television or the early 90s. I, it would have been early 90s thinking about the house that I saw it in because we moved uh, quite a bit as a kid. And yes, I remember distinctly watching it and where I was. It was like on the floor of my parents' bedroom, watching it with the whole family and just laughing so hard and then watching it again and again and again and again. It's a favorite sick day movie. A lot of these John Hughes movies are, and I'm not saying anything that is singular to me. I think this is something that is for a lot of, of us, especially of a certain age, uh, our love of John Hughes films. And, you know, uh, this time of year, you're going to watch uh, Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, um, some of these are just, they're kind of seamlessly woven into holidays uh, at this point, sort of like watching Elf is, or, um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life for some people. So uh, that is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, this edition of it comes um, in a collectible tin uh, case, a steelbook. Special features include, I think, ones that were on past editions. You're going to get the film in Blu-ray, digital, and DVD. So it's a nice uh, combination of that. I don't believe that these are any new um, 
extra features because they're not marked as such on the disc. Whereas other Paramount editions, it kind of said, hey, we have a new Cameron Crowe conversation on Vanilla Sky or Ragtime or Harold and Maude. It straight up tells you uh, which editions are new and it does not look like this is. But I am somebody who, weirdly enough, I had it in video. I had it in DVD. But for whatever reason, I just had not upgraded. So I was very pleased to get this Blu-ray and also um, upgrade my digital because, yes, I also owned it in digital um, to HD as well. I want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research, equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.